Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Cybersecurity Awareness Month episode of Talos Takes. Today, I am joined by Ted Keatsman from Cisco Duo. Thanks for coming on, Ted. Hi, John. Um, Thanks a lot for having me. So you are uh, on the Duo team, as I said, and we're going to be talking about multi-factor authentication today. This is going to be a great overview for anyone who has never really gotten hands-on with MFA before or might be new to implementing it. Ted, can you just talk about your role real quick with Duo and kind of your experience with MFA? Sure, totally. So I'm on the product team here at Duo. I've been working with Duo or in the security space for the last five or six years. My job is to look at strategic initiatives. So looking at the authentication space, looking at the access management space, trying to understand where things are and where they're going. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So yeah, like I said, we want to be kind of just talking about the basics of implementing MFA. That's been Cisco's theme for this week of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And so we'll just be kind of covering this at a pretty high level. So I want to start out by asking you, you know, kind of just what's your elevator pitch for somebody as to why they need to have MFA in some shape or form? Like literally, if you were trying to like talk to my mom about why she needed it for her email or whatever, what's your your elevator pitch? Totally. That's a, it's a really great question because I think some people, most people know what MFA is at this point, but often they just think of it as something that's that's annoying that their bank maybe makes them do. So before I get to the elevator pitch, let me take a step back and just do a couple definitions. So MFA just stands for multi-factor authentication. The word authentication is in there. And just as a reminder, authentication just means proving you are who you say you are. Obviously on the internet, this is a little bit trickier or stickier than doing it in person, like face-to-face. It's pretty easy to be like, I'm Ted and you can see me and I'm obviously am who, who I say I am. But on the internet, you're just sort of like, we have to go on trust or we have to find some way to prove that you are who you say you are. And traditionally we've done this via passwords. So you put your username for me, like T Keatsman into a website, and then you prove that I, or I prove that I am that person by entering a password that only I'm supposed to know. And so I prove to the website, or I I get the access by proving I am who I am by putting that password that only I know in. The sad part is, or it just turns out that humans are relatively bad, all of us, at choosing passwords. So we choose our birthdays, street names, things like that. Things that are basically really easy to guess by someone who is not us. And that's where MFA comes in. If a password is one factor to prove you are who you are, you're adding another factor. So we've all done this at the bank login. As I mentioned, you enter your password and then they send your phone number a text. The first factor of authentication is your password. Then the second factor is you have your phone on you and they send it to your phone number. By doing two or multiple factors of authentication, you can be more sure that the person logging in has proven they are who they say they are. And so with all that context out of the way, my elevator pitch is that it's incredibly important that only the real verified person gets access to all sorts of important online accounts in their life, banking information, healthcare, all that sort of stuff. And MFA is a measure that dramatically improves the chances of that happening. So there are a lot of different forms that MFA can take. And I feel like the one that most people are probably familiar with now, only because it's like one that I'm seeing all the time now for different websites is SMS-based authentication, where you log in and then the site that you're trying to log into sends you a code that you have to input onto the website. So besides that, uh, what are some other various MFA options that Duo has for authentication that goes outside of just, here's a text message or a phone call with a 
six-digit key. Yeah, that's a great point. So text message is definitely a very common form of MFA. Duo has a variety of others. In fact, one of the reasons that people choose Duo is the fact that we have a diversity of options when it comes to the second factor or, or factors that you can choose to authenticate with. Duo is most famous for providing a push notification form of second factor. This still goes to your phone. So it's still using your phone as saying, you know, this is a factor or you have your device and uh, we're, we're using your phone to prove to, for that second factor. But instead of it being your phone number and a text message, it's actually you download the Duo mobile app and it's a, a notification that comes through that application. This provides a little more security because with a phone number, they can be redirected. But with a mobile app, it's sort of you have to log in on your phone and, and provides slightly more security in terms of that second factor. Duo also has other factors, whether it's a security key. This is something that you can plug into the side of your computer and use as a second factor. We also have WebAuthn factors. WebAuthn is a protocol that's relatively new on the web that enables a cryptographic key handshake at login. It's a little bit technical, but it's very cool and a much more secure way to provide a second factor as well. So Wendy uh, Nather from the CISO advisory team and I spoke, we had talked about why SMS may not necessarily be the most secure form of MFA because it's more easily intercepted by adversaries. Uh, so do you feel like that SMS-based authentication, is that still kind of like a going concern that the team has? And with that being said, why do you still feel like, as we just talked about, why is it still such a popular option that people turn to? Yeah, it's a great point. So SMS is vulnerable to things like a SIM swap attack. It's not trivial, but it's not that difficult to do either. This is an attack where, yeah, as you mentioned, some an adversary or hacker basically directs that code to a phone that they control. They, they take a spoof or take control of your phone number and they say, all right, I have the username and password already. I've stolen those. And now if there's multi-factor on the account, I can direct that phone number, that, that code to a phone I can control and then I can log in because I have all the factors. So it's vulnerable to attacks like that. That being said, I mean, any MFA at all is better than no MFA. So you're forcing an attacker to set up this control of your phone or have control of your phone, which is important. So I will always say that like doing any form of MFA is better than no MFA by a long shot. But yeah, given these vulnerabilities, um, it is important to move to stronger and stronger factors of MFA. And we're seeing that at Duo. We're seeing people adopt that of SMS moving to push, which is stronger, or moving to WebAuthn, as I mentioned, which is even stronger. I think SMS is still so ubiquitous because it's so it's relatively easy to set up. With the push notification, you have to download the app. With WebAuthn, devices have to have support or the web page or application has to support that protocol. And so there are reasons why SMS is still around. It's because it's everyone has a phone. Most people have a phone number mm -hmm. and it's easy to set that up. So I think over time, we'll see more and more hardening and more and more just increasing of the safety and security of the factors that are used. But in the interim, it's sort of like seatbelts and airbags in a car. For a while, there was no seatbelt in the car. And then for if a seat, if a car had a seatbelt, that was better than no seatbelt. But over time, all of the cars will eventually have seatbelt and airbag, and that's the safest. And I think with uh -huh. factors that you use to authenticate, we're, we're moving in a direction where we're moving to safer and safer over time. So another aspect of MFA that I wanted to ask you about is using pass keys, because uh, as you said, like the traditional way of 
logging into a website is with like a username and password that you have to come up with. And passkeys are trying to just essentially do away with that altogether. So can you kind of talk to the audience if, they, if they're not familiar with the concept of passkeys, what that is exactly, and how does Duo work into that plan if you're wanting to migrate toward password, you know, a passwordless future? Passwords are not ideal for the, uh, a variety of reasons. Most people know at this point they're annoying to remember. They're relatively easy to steal. And so the industry are uh, for, via a variety of different groups. There's the FIDO2 group, and they've come up with a, a new form of authentication called passkeys. It's a pa- it can be a passwordless, or you don't no longer create a password form of authentication. And one way, fun way to explain it is to talk about symmetric versus asymmetric credentials. That just to to take a step back and explain that. A password is a is a symmetric credential in the sense that I create a password. Let's say it's password one two three. That's a bad password. But I would that would be stored on the server of the application I use that in. Say it's Bank of America or whatever. I create a password password one two three. I then Bank of America has my password stored on a server that they check when I go to log in. An asymmetric credential, which a pass key is, is um. It means that there's a public and private key pair that are created. The private key lives on your device and never leaves it. And you send a public key over to Bank of America. And when you go to log in, you basically do a check and open up the private key on your own device. And it signs a little the authentication request. And that signed um, request gets returned and you're logged in. But that private key never leaves your device the, as far as the pass key goes. And Bank of America only has on their server a bunch of public keys. So this is really nice for a couple of reasons. One, if Bank of America ever gets popped and you see these in the news where a hacker gets in and steals all these usernames and passwords, in the passkey world, all they would have is a bunch of public keys, which are effectively a bunch of keyholes, but they have no keys to open them up. So it's much more secure that way in terms of there's no longer a bunch of passwords lying around to steal. But also, yeah, it turns it changes it from, you don't have to remember a password. You're using this key that's on your device and it's um, unlocking or uh, authenticating you because it's associated with your device and you no longer have to remember a password, switch a password. You can use this key at the point of login to, um, and it's a cryptographic digital key to log in instead of using a password. So much more secure, often much easier to use too. So if you think about, sorry, I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but Think about having to type in a password. You have to remember it, but you also just have to type it in. Pass keys are often enabled by doing a quick gesture. So on a Mac, for example, you have Touch ID. You're at a website, and you can just hit your Touch ID, and it that that action unlocks the pass key on your device. It signs the authentication request, and you're logged in. So it's much simpler instead of having to do this, you know, type and then MFA. If you have MFA on it, the pass key login is. A, much more seamless as far as the gesture goes and much more secure. So it's sort of a win-win. So the last thing I want to ask you about is the the ways that attackers are trying to get around MFA. Something that Talos has written about a lot recently is MFA bombing attacks. Uh, And if folks want to read more about that, I'll link in the show notes so that you can educate yourself on it. But the too long didn't read version is that attackers will just send dozens and dozens of MFA prompts to a targeted user and the hopes of like maybe they hit them at like three in the morning and they're like oh i just want this to shut up so i'm gonna hit the 
okay button and let this random thing in so it goes away and I can go back to sleep. So besides that particular method, which we know has been increasingly popular, what you know, are there any other methods that adversaries are using to try to get around MFA that you guys are particularly looking into right now? Yeah, there's a very tricky one. People in the security community have probably heard it already, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Evil Gen X or e- Evil Engine X. But it's a kit that basically enables and what we call an attacker in the middle, and it's pretty it's pretty tricky and clever. But basically, you know, when you go to say, and I I know I'm using them, but maybe any bank, I won't say Bank of America, Bank of Canada, um, you go to a website to log in, they basically direct you to a Bank of Canada slash like troll.com, but it looks exactly the same as the typical login page. But the domain is different. If you're actually looking up at the top, there would be different characters. It looks almost right. looks almost like the typical HTTP dot you know, .com, whatever, but there's something else in there. But on the screen, they can, it's pretty easy to copy a web page and they just, everything's copied. So it looks the same. You feel like you're on the right place. And then you enter your username and password. And even if there's MFA, especially those passcode MFAs, what they'll do is they'll, they know that you have that passcode and they'll put in the, you know, enter your passcode here on the same page that they've created, the attacker has created. So now you've entered your username, you've entered your password. And then when you get the passcode on your phone, you enter it onto the page, the hackers page. And so now they have all three things they need to go to the real page while you're doing there, you're sitting there on the fake one, they go to the real page and use all that information to log in. And so that's something we're seeing is, especially for, as you mentioned at the top of the call, the SMS code, they can leverage those with another dialogue box in, in this, fake authentication page to log you in on the other real page while you're you know, sitting there trying, thinking you're logging in. As we just talked about, pass keys are a great way to stop this from happening. Pass keys only work at the right domain. Another way just, you know, you should always check when you're authenticating, look up at the page you're actually on. I mean, it's it seems silly to point that out, but the domain is important that you're logging into and looking up at the web page that you're going to just making sure, and this is also in phishing emails too, see where they're coming from, see if it's actually coming from facebook.com or if it's coming from facebook.troll.com. These are really important things to check. It's an easy way to make sure that you're doing the right thing at the right place. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time to talk about this, Ted. I certainly appreciate it. Do you have any other closing thoughts or words of wisdom on this topic for anyone who might be listening, especially if they're you know, maybe new just for this month? Yeah, I mean, I think MFA gets a bad rap. I talk to a lot of people who, you know, roll their eyes when they have to do it at the point of login. It's it's annoying another step that they have to do. But given how easy it is for attackers to steal passwords at this point, they, you know, we just in the news, it's constant. Another breach where a bunch of usernames and passwords were stolen. It's really important to do. The, there's good news on the horizon too. The as I mentioned, the, the, with pass keys and more secure forms of authentication, they're both more secure, but they're also getting easier to use. Pass keys are going to be much more secure than traditional MFA in the second step of getting that passcode, but they actually make authentication less steps. It's just the simple gesture of doing a touch ID potentially or touching a security key. And so MFA, my closing thought would be MFA is only getting easier and authentication is going to get more secure. So I think there's some actual positive outlook on this. And I would also just remind people, it may seem annoying to do another step, but it's really, really, really worth it. 
All right, awesome. Well, thanks, Ted. I appreciate your time once again. And yeah, we'll have to find something else to talk to you about in the future. This has been fun. All right, thanks, John. Really appreciate it.